Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the introspective fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, this is Anthony. And this is episode 338, Listener Feedback. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. So we are back from the Olympics. We had a really good time. Anthony, how was your time in Tokyo? Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, it was hot. Very uh-huh, hot. Uh-huh, but, uh-huh. Know, got it, got it. Lots of good sports. Lots of good sports. Nice, nice. They, they did keep asking me why I was there because there was no spectators allowed. But, mm. you know. You keep pushing this board game Olympic thing, you know, and they're just like, maybe next year, Chatfield. Yeah, maybe, maybe next year. It's like, you know what? You guys got some weird sports, though. Like, <laughs> like the three-on-three basketball. We got horse dancing, water polo. I mean, there are sports, I guess, but... They're not really board games are hard. You don't know. You ever play pitch car? (laughs) Flick a lot. It's true. I mean, it's it's like when are they going to get to the next level? I mean, again, it's so many of these different sports that they have Olympics are just like wacky combinations from like fifty to one hundred years ago, and then like even current stuff like like rock climbing walls. I I saw was a thing. (laughs) I I think isn't skateboarding a thing now too? Yeah, they had skateboarding this year, which is awesome. I'm not I'm not against that at all. I'm just like evolve, you know. And then like some of these things are like steeple running, where people have to run through water and then just run through hurdles. I'm like, why would you do that to people? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like you're being just mean for no reason of being mean, but. I don't know. It's a good thing. Anyhow, yeah, it was if you if you followed it, if you were interested in it, hopefully the last two episodes were a lot of fun for you. We had fun doing them. All about the Olympics and some of the games and the different countries. And obviously, you know, there's so many problems with the Olympics as far as the amount of money, the staging, the corruption, how Russia keeps being able to do things even though they break right. rules. But nonetheless, the the athletes themselves are extraordinary human specimens of like exceptionalism, and they they seem to be very good people too. Like if you like, they keep helping other countries out. They keep working together. There was one there was one competition where they both shared the gold medal instead of fighting it out, you know, to the ends of the earth and just like people helping people. I mean, it's it's just really a beautiful thing, and really, it's what society should be about. And again, being good geeks or weebs, depending on how you want to look at it, you got a lot of the anime kind of references and retrospectives at the Tokyo Games, which was like, seems like this would be like disrespected, but Jap- Japan was in on it. So, yeah. I mean, all the, I mean, it was not amazing to see all the different people with their different anime poses and stuff like that. Yeah, no, it was weird too. It was, everybody's like, all right, let, like they all had a big Zoom call before the Olympics started. Like, cool guys, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> Like, it's in Japan, so it's totally cool. Everybody's gonna think it's hilarious. So <laughs> Sailor Moon all day long. It's not not we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, yeah, we yeah. can do it. I was like, I would, I would have been up there for an hour an hour or so doing like Naruto hand signals. I'm just be like, is this is this wrong? This feels wrong. I feel wrong doing this. But okay. <laughs> Everyone's cool with it. Everyone got a big kick out of it. So um that was a lot of fun. And then actually they had a report that one of the Olympic athletes was talking about his favorite game was Munchkin. And it, and Anthony was very upset about that, but I was overjoyed that actually someone loved playing Munchkin. So Terrible taste, man. What are you doing? Why? Munch- hey, look. Your favorite game. <laughs> your favorite game is Munchkin? Okay. <laughs> it could doing? be worse. 
look, could it be worse? It could be worse. Come on, it could be worse. A little. It could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. I so that, no, that was that was fun to see getting the props out there. So maybe next year, Anthony, you'll get, you know, more kind of attention for board games. I don't know. Would it have to be like Germany in order for there to mm. be like board game Maybe. themed kind of elements in the Olympic games. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. It's in France next time. So I it don't is. know if we're going to get a lot of that, no. but maybe some Carcassonne. I don't know. <laughs> the, the opening, the opening show is like giant tar- Carcassonne tiles moving around the, the stage or something. <laughs> right. And then like people being giant meeples and, and laying back and stuff like that. So yeah, I think that's, I think that would be as confusing to the general audience as anime right yeah you know definitely They're like why is he doing that i'm like don't worry it's really cool you'll like it yeah. although there's so. money in anime you just see like somebody just bought Crunchyroll for 1.2 billion dollars there is money in anime so surprisingly enough it was not me i know that you thought that was me initially it did oh, not buy it yeah, i was, I was going money. to but mm, you know, know. it's just a little bit more than i could afford it's, you know. <laughs> just a little bit so no, that's fine. I mean, it might get you know. Obviously, what was it? Um, Demon Hunter. You know the the recent film that the the min, was it the Midnight Train or whatever it was like did crazy amounts of money around the world because of COVID. Right. And it was also a good film. It was actually pretty good. So if you haven't seen it, catch up with the anime first and then watch the movie because otherwise you're you're not going to get the whole story as far as that's concerned. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a thing from the COVID the COVID days. I'm so glad that's over. <laughs> Remember COVID? Remember that? Oh, that was the thing. I know you forgot. That was the it's thing. It's not funny. This isn't funny. Uh, it's not funny, funny yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yes. funny. So yeah, Delta is still out there. So please stay masks, keep masks. You know, stay safe out there because again, um, if each and every one of you are not there at the next convention that we see you all at. I'm going to be very upset with all of you. we got names. we got numbers. Yep. Anthony tracks all the data. So yeah, better stay well. <laughs> we got to play a game together. If that doesn't happen, I'm going to be upset. So, yeah. So, obviously, a lot going on out there. Again, if you haven't checked back, please check back the Olympic episodes. It was a lot of fun for us to do. We did, obviously, best games for countries and then best games for sports. Both countries and sports, surprisingly enough, don't have a lot of games out there. Uh, so that would be nice if that kind of bulked up a little bit there. But maybe in the future, maybe in the future we'll see more of an Olympic kind of board game based thing. Or if you're a publisher or designer out there, make one of those because that'd be awesome. So yeah. we can play those. Nonetheless, so our episode today will be listener feedback. So instead of our typical insane fun we're having at the table together, we're having introspective fun at the table as we listen to our loving and adoring uh, listeners out there and want to give back and want to answer your questions. So we picked out the top of the top as far as questions are concerned, and we'll go through those in our feature reviews. So we are back and we are louder than ever. So please adjust your podcast player to match us and let's get into the episode. So Anthony, a lot that's going out out there. Obviously we talked about all the stuff that we're going on, right? Our attempts to buy, you know, um, Crunchyroll did fell through, but let's talk yeah. about what's going on with our listeners. What's our question of the week? All right, yeah, I asked this a couple weeks ago uh, before our Olympic break, and then uh, it's a good one because I was packing. I've obviously moved into my new space, so I've been Woo-hoo! unpacking, but which nice. is the same, but in reverse, a little more fun, but also <laughs> stressful. Um, uh, and so I asked people, yay or nay, on play mats because 
packing them is terrible. It's terrible. I don't know if I'm going to buy anymore because moving them sucks, but uh, they are very nice. So I, I did want to ask people, do you like them? And if you do, which ones add the most to the game? Like which ones are worth picking up? Right. Which is kind of a trick question because playmats have this history slash infamy of they come into stock. They go out of stock. Fantasy flight, especially is like, look, a playmat for a game that everybody owns and everybody would be able to use. We only made 400 of them. Like, why? Uh, so, like, I always buy those up, even though I don't use them very often. So we have a few good answers here. Uh, Tim mentions Dice Masters really benefiting from an upgrade. Uh, the mm-hmm. ones in the box were poor quality. Uh, they weren't even play mats. They were like, oh, my God, things. the paper. Yeah, yeah, they're terrible. So <laughs> um, and so the upgraded ones with the, you know, the playmat material, they showed the flow of the game phases, which is really important for that game because the phases are not mm-hmm. super intuitive. So, yeah, definitely with you on that one. Uh, David says, definitely a big yay for card games, which don't come with boards. So likes sure. playmats for card games. Um, he he would specifically love a Dominion playmat. Uh, generally, games with a board don't really feel like it's needed, can live without them. But card games, yes. Uh, David B says, uh, depends on the game, but generally yay. The bigger the game, the more a playmat can matter. So he mentions he just got in Ankh, Gods of Egypt. And the double-sided mat is gorgeous. So has the base set up on one side and the Pharaoh expansion on the other. So he's glad he paid the extra for that. Uh, the play mat for Blood Rage is also essential, removing the separate boards. I think that's a common thing. Like the big play mats will remove the separate boards that maybe you have to deal with. Mm. Um, we had Jeremiah mentioned specifically the Game of Thrones play mat, which I do have for a game that I've still never played. <laughs> but I was like, I have to get this. Uh, because... With the Mother of Dragons expansion, you have that sideboard and it creates some layout issues because they're not connected and things don't necessarily go where they need to go. But the playmat, it's all on one thing. So you have everything you need, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It is very pretty, too. Uh, Kyle mentions mats and inserts are among his favorite accessories. Playmats that replace multiple boards, again, like we mentioned. So he mentioned Champions of Midgard. A couple people also mentioned Marvel United, the big round one is very useful uh, and people like having that uh, for their games. Um, I have a bunch. I feel like the one that I liked the most that I got in recently was the Kemet one. So Mm -hmm. for the Kemet blood and sand Kickstarter, I got the play mat for that. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that quite a bit. And I've used the twilight Imperium one a lot, (laughs) even though there's nothing on it, but it just helps with setup to get everything where it needs to go. Uh, I really like that one quite a bit as well. I have a bunch and I don't know how this happened because initially, and we've talked about this, I guess years now, right? I mean, I I think we go back to when we had Drew on and Drew proposed or, you know, saw a future vision of all board games eventually coming out in mat format. That did Mm -hmm. not happen, at least not yet, but it's, it's a weird thing. I, I don't know. Like I have several, I have Elysium. I'm looking at Elysium right now. I'm looking at uh, the Street Fighter card game fight. I'm looking at Century Spice Road, uh, Seven Wonders. I have a bunch. But honestly, I use them more just as table coverings than I really use oftentimes for the games. That being said, the ones that I really do use are the ones that are either for the X-Wing miniatures or the Star Trek Attack Wing Mm. so that you can actually lay out, was it three by three, I think? Yeah. As yep, far yep. as to speak, because that you have to have, you have to have that kind of lined out in order to see if you go over the line. Because if you go over the line, you lose the ship. 
So that's kind of been essential. I think beyond that, the only other thing I could think of, I think is, as many of you mentioned, is the troops on the map situation. So like you said, your Ankh, your Rising Sun, your Blood Rage, anything that has a lot of troops, typically the boards are never, never seem to be big enough to right. manage all the troops. So you're like, oh, I'm moving to this one country, but you really can't tell and it's not separated out and it's it's a it's really problematic. I think Scythe had that situation where you had resources and everything. And I don't know if it has a play map, but they did have the bigger board that right. you could kind of like, and then of course, once you have the bigger board, you're like, of course we're going to play with the bigger board on that. So <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I own them. They're insane to kind of store. I know there's some different kind of storage solutions. My biggest issue is, and this is just for me, how I transport my games is I really want the mats to fit inside the box. I know that's too much to ask for, but I don't like carrying an additional mat with the box. You know, if they were somehow big enough that they wrapped up perfectly, but they, I don't know why, they just don't generally come properly arranged. I mean, I think it's a good thing, especially if you have card games and you're throwing a lot of cards and they're not sleeved, that a mat's a welcome addition to game night. But I don't know. I, I honestly, I, I'd like to spend a couple of hours recognizing, like, was it worth $20, $30 for some of these mats? Because they're not cheap. No, no, they're expensive. Yeah, uh, like you keep mentioning like having it in the box. And one game I got in recently is Oath, uh, the the new Cole Worley game. And it does have yeah. a playmat in the box. It comes That's with, great. there's no board, it's a mat and it's rolled up inside the box. Yeah, I've never seen that otherwise. I think the closest I've seen is PAX Premier has like the cloth board. That's what I was going to mention. It, it's, you know, it kind of rolls up as well. But for the most part, yeah, it's big, massive honking thing. Like I have mine jammed back here behind the computer because I don't know where else to put them. And <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it. If I lug it to, you know, I keep the boxes for the ones that come in boxes, but some of them don't. They just come wrapped up or they come in a tube, like a shipping tube. And you're like, well, we don't <laughs> like I picked up one recently for Village and I'm like, oh, this is cool. I really like this. But then realized for rather quickly that it doesn't accommodate the expansion. Oh, so yeah, it's just like, hard. you know, it's, it's one of those problems that you want. That's really, I have one for seven wonders, which is great, but doesn't accommodate the expansions. So right. why am I having that on the table if it can't meet what you need? So yeah, it's, it's an expensive edition. I don't know if it's necessarily the right edition, but it's something to kind of take a look at. And if you have any kind of questions or you have any kind of answers to how you kind of store these things and get them to game night, please let us know. Yep. And of course, you can hit us up on all our social media. Facebook and Twitter is best for answering the question of the week. But we are on Instagram. We have a we have a guild on Board Game Geek. And of course, you could be watching us right now, or you may be watching us right now on YouTube. So thanks. Uh, more subscriptions on YouTube, please, because we really want to kind of cement our, our faces out there a little bit more. Um, being a YouTube channel for... Not as long as we've been a podcast channel out there. So um, it's a big step for a bunch of introverts. So if you subscribe, that helps us out a lot. So thanks for that. All right. So that's everything that's going on with our listeners. Anthony, we have some games that we're interested in. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. Yes. So uh, there were a pair of new things that went up for pre-order on the Capstone Games website last week. Uh, the mm -hmm. first is the Maracaibo expansion, the Uprising, in which the native peoples of the 
islands that you're running around messing with in Maracaibo are rising up and you are helping them. And it's a little weird thematically. I'm not really sure what to think of it yet. So probably circle back to that once, once there's more information about it. Um, they're trying, they're trying. I give them credit where they're trying. Uh, but the other one I did want to talk about is Boon Lake. This is the new one from Alexander Fister, original game, not expansion. And it's, you know, kind of in line with his, you know, he had cloud age recently or, mm-hmm. Um, the Hong Kong blackout where it's just like a weird kind of off kilter theme. It's not, it's not colonialism. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> it's we're For going once. the right direction. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Um, so there's almost no information about this. It is up for pre-order if you're in the U S or some other countries, I don't remember exactly where, but if, if you go to the capstone website, it is available for pre-order, but there's no rules yet. So I don't really know a ton about it, except that it is a big box game. He posted on uh, Board Game Geek last week that it's similar in complexity to Great Western Trail or Maracaibo. So that medium heavyweight, you know, kind of a 3.2-ish. Um, two and a half hours or so. So on the longer side, probably again like Maracaibo. And it seems to have some of that like moving around the water and stopping at locations to do things mechanic that Maracaibo has as well, which mm-hmm. I, I know is taken from Great Western Trail, but specifically in Maracaibo, it makes the game long. So... We'll see how long it actually is. Um, mechanically speaking, though, you have like seven different actions where each represented by a tile. These are laid onto a double layer tableau from top to bottom. So you'll choose one and put it at the bottom of the list and then slide them together again. So the order is constantly changing. So the availability of the actions you can take will change based on who takes what and when, which is kind of a cool mechanic. Uh, it seems unique and a little bit different. Um, thematically, it's modern modern world-ish but then you leave and you're trying to go live somewhere else in harmony with nature um but you still obviously have to build it up in some way because you need to live there right so the theme's a little wishy-washy at the moment we don't really know a ton about it but you move to a lake you got to move around there are some cooperative-ish elements where you're building infrastructure and certain things all need to work to hit a certain level so everybody can live there. So think like lowlands where you're trying to, to build the dikes or something like that. Um, and that's about what we know right now. So it's a new <laughs> Alexander Fister game. Uh, for me, his games are hit or miss. I don't, you know, the last few of them, especially like sure. some of them I've really enjoyed. Some of them I have not. And I just, I don't know why, like some just don't click with me. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm interested in this, right? Like great Western trail was always, I don't know, petered out for me. <clears throat> But everybody loves it. And then Maracaibo, I do like a lot mechanically, but it's just one of those games where you're just like, eh, I feel weird playing it. Uh, sure. So I'm hoping this one kind of finds a way to like thread the needle there and, and bring those mechanics in, do something interesting and new, be thinky, and not have all the burdensome, unnecessary thematic weight that these designers keep insisting on bringing into their games. <laughs> so, uh I mean, I think to his credits feel like Fister's finally figured it out. Maybe that's not a good idea. So hopefully we won't see any more of that. But yeah, there you go. It's supposedly being produced right now. So we'll see it around the end of the year, hmm. maybe with shipping stuff. So who knows? But, um, <laughs> they're saying mid-November. I would, you know, grain of salt. We'll see. Yeah, December is probably more likely, especially that's if there's a convention, yeah. we'll see it in December. So right. Yeah, you know, Fister's last couple of games really didn't hit for me. Uh, Cloud Age, not so much. Maracaibo, um, beyond its kind of 
problematic nature to it was just way too long for what it was for me, at least. Sure. Um, I, you know, I've, I still haven't played Expedition to New Dale. I did like Oh My Goods. I did like Port Royale. Mombasa, again, problematic, but I did like, I did like the game mechanics itself. Um, Isle of Sky, I guess, is another game of his where I never really, I want to like that game. I even bought the app for that game. And I was just like, I will like this game. And I'm like, still don't like this game. <laughs> and Great Western Trail is problematic for its own reasons. And then it was, like you said, it just dropped off. And somehow people still love it above and beyond. So, yeah, I I, I looked at the game. I looked at the image. I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see on that. Um, yep. Another one that might be questioning, Anthony, I, and I think you and I have seen this. And we, we saw this when it was first announced. I think it was at last year. At uh, yeah, yeah, Fantasy yep. Flight kind of f- tremendously, unfortunately, fumbled their you know <laughs> promotion and big box reveal when their stream fell down, and then they came back, and then it was like it was all it was all kind of things. Um, leave it to the professionals. We can we could do this. We could show you. We could show your box. Um, I they did a decent job, but again, everything fell apart. The big thing about that last year was Descent was coming out. Not Descent 3rd Edition, but like a new Descent. And every they, they kind of, you know, how would you say it? Kind of promoted the box. So they showed the gigantic box. But they really never got into anything else as far as that was concerned. And the idea, I guess, here was, at least I'm I'm envisioning it this way, it was one of two things. Hey, you know what, you know what made a lot of money? Gloomhaven. Can we make a box that size? But... Yep. A somewhat different shape, and they're like, "Yes, we can." And they're like, "You know what else made a lot of money? Hero Quest. Can we make a game like Hero Quest where you just basically have a lot of furniture and a lot of like <laughs> random terrain?" And they're like, "Yeah, we could do that too." So what you have with Descent: Legends of the Dark is again Descent, like the second edition, where you had the app and the whole idea was this dungeon crawl and Taranoff is in peril again, but it's also part gigantic insanely expensive box of like i guess furniture and terrain and a couple of characters so again very hero questy uh and at the same time it was something that was interesting because again they were bringing in their app to the play so it's a co-op adventure and a dungeon crawler where it kind of brings back that kind of like hack and slash kind of situation but now you have to navigate the you know the furniture the obstacles the different levels and in fact you put together all these different cardboard pieces and then based upon what the app tells you you arrange it in such a way that there is benefits and detractions as far as where you're standing and what you move and what you do so you get 46 pieces of 30 of 3D terrain and that's the thing and the app. So again, you're playing with an app that's running a lot of the gameplay elements and allowing you to put together your your co-op team there. And then you have all these other kind of 3D terrain and, and cardboard pieces and things of that nature. So I have been watching as much as possible about this game because I did not pick this game up. Because again, I was trying to buy Crunchyroll, and I and it was either Crunchyroll or, or this game. Yeah, money. it was about yeah. the same cost, and Pretty I was much. just like, <laughs> and I couldn't decide. And then Crunchyroll went out, and then Descent came out. And I was like, ah, oh, it's too late. But 
it hasn't gotten the best vibe as of yet. Uh, I think some people are happy with it, but I think a lot of people are confused. Because again, it's a lot of things. It's an app, it's 3D terrain, and it's somewhat basic uh, descent. Yeah. So, and there's some weird, confusing messaging too, because they're like, "This isn't everything. We have other big boxes coming." And people are like, "Wait, so should I buy this or wait and buy more? <laughs> what am I buying?" <laughs> like, yeah. And there's still some app development to go on, so I, I think that the app is not in the best shape either. And it's a little bit. I I really like when they kind of like take the the traditional dungeon tropes and kind of turn it on their head. But again, this is so much hero quest to me, Anthony. I look at it and I'm like, awesome furniture. Like I love the pieces here. I love how the cardboard comes together. I love the the treasure chests and everything here. But again, it's $175. You're paying for some of what somewhat the app, but you're also paying for a lot of the cardboard. But you're not getting as many of the figures and monsters as I would like to see, or I have seen in the other descents. So take that as you will. Um, may or may not work for you. As far as an acquisition disorder for me, I don't know because I don't. I think it, it seems a little a little unfinished, but again, they could resolve that with the app, or they could resolve that with an expansion that was like, here's a box of plastic. And like, oh, cool. Right. Now I have That's... things to do. Um yeah. You've, That's you've played thing, second edition, right? I did play second edition. Yeah, and it's it's fun. It's fine. It's And they created an app for it where you could bring that stuff in and do it. And it felt a little clunky because they added it after the fact. But it's a good enough dungeon crawler. It, like, I enjoy it. Um, I have everything for Imperial Assault, which is basically that, but with Star Wars <laughs> as well. And I just, I don't know who this is for. Like, it's not for people who have all the Descent stuff because you're telling them all to start over. It's not for people who love Gloomhaven because then you have the app. It's not for people who are, like, big fans of, like, Mansions of Madness or Journeys in Middle-Earth because it's not just the app. It's, like, this whole 3D landscape you're building. And Like you said, it's, like, Hero Quest jammed together with Mansions of Madness, jammed together with Gloomhaven, and they're like, eh? Can we has $200? You know? It's... <laughs> And maybe it's amazing. I don't know. I haven't played it. But just from a marketing perspective, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> like It's so weird. And it's hard, too, because that market is went from not being flooded to being flooded, right? Gloomhaven came out. Yeah. Frosthaven's coming out. HeroQuest had its reboot and, like, quasi-Kickstarter. So people dropped a crazy amount. I think that was about $200 as well for right. that. And then there's the endless number of like previous Fantasy Flight Dungeons and Dragons crawls or the previous descents. I really don't understand why they, sw- you know, like again, we've talked about this in the past where they keep the same name because, again, from a marketing perspective, it's a little easier to market it, but it's a, it's somewhat or enough of a different game that it really throws the whole series off track. So I don't know why it was needed to be called Descent if it's not Descent 3rd Edition or Descent a follow-up or something. Right. I mean, the Terranoff universe is pretty vast. I have a, I have a ton of games in the Terranoff universe, and they're different games. So I hope to get a chance to play this, but at the moment, I don't know. <laughs> at the moment, my money's locked up in Crunchyroll stock, so I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't do anything about that. All right, so those are the games that are 
hopefully at our table at some point in the near future. Again, if you happen to see one of us, throw those games down to the table because we'd love to play with you. All right, Anthony, let's talk about the games that did hit the table. We'll let people know if those games are a buy and they should run those, pick those games up. If those games are a dodge, they should avoid them. At, no, yeah, they should avoid them at all costs. If those games are play, which should have came earlier. If those games are the dreaded bird and it's not even worth crunchy roll money, man. I'm just saying it's just not, it's just not, not <laughs> worth it. So um, let it go. <laughs> yeah. Just let it go. I'm trying to, I mean, I was, I was close on that, my, on my bid. So nonetheless, what do you have up for us this week? All right. Yeah. So I got a chance to play in the few days before I left Pittsburgh, um, got together with my, my friends there. Um, we, we had a few game days. We actually played Arkwright was a game that only gets to the table like once a year. I'm not reviewing that. That'll take an hour, but um, it was a lot of fun. But one of the games we did get to the table that was new is Iberian Gage. Um, and when I say new, I should say the capstone edition of Iberian Gage because this was released by Winsome Games mm-hmm. in 2017. But if you know anything about Winsome Games, at least their Essen series that they release, they're like little small, like they come in a plastic baggie, they're limited edition, they're kind of hard to find. It's not like a big box release, right? Chris, you and I played one of these uh, <laughs> at my apartment back in Brooklyn like seven years ago. And I don't even remember what it was. It was like something in Mississippi. I don't remember. Was that? Um, yeah, yeah. That was a while back. That wasn't industrial waste, right? That was something else. No, we played that after. Yeah, it was oh. some cube rail game. It was one. Of, it was like okay. one of these. It took like an hour, but um, <laughs> so that was my Great. first introduction. It was like yeah. a piece of graph paper and some cubes on it, and I was like, "That was okay, I guess." <laughs> Are we and done now? These, <laughs> yeah, and that's what these have been historically. And so Capstone Games came along and they said, "Let's take those." graph paper and cube games and we'll make them pretty and so that's what their iron rail series has been so we had irish gauge two years ago last year we had ride the rails and this year we have iberian gauge and so irish gauge and iberian gauge are actually designed by amabel holland which came out several years earlier those are winsome games ride the rails i think was a new one that capstone had 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 done um but the big thing about all three games is Ian O'Toole did the artwork so they Mm. went and they got the guy, the big Euro designer for like the smooth, pastel, beautiful. They're just really pretty games, right? For a historically ugly genre of cube rail games. And so there's a trilogy now. You get all three of them. They're like $30, $40 a piece. They're not crazy expensive. And what they all have in common is they're about trains. Um, They take under an hour to play, usually three to five players. And they're decently thinking. So... You might look at the cover and think like, oh, like 18xx or something. It's like it's nothing like that, except the fact that it has trains and sometimes stocks. But they're really fast. Iberian Gage is uh, another one of these games. It takes place in the Iberian Peninsula. So you have a map of Portugal and Spain. And what you're doing is you are taking turns in stock buying rounds and then operating rounds, which if you've ever played a train game, that should be pretty familiar. And so everybody's going to take turns and there's multiple different train lines that you can buy stock in. And so if you're the first person to buy stock, you're going to set the value of that stock. Like if you're saying, okay, I'm going to par it at $20 a share. And then you, you're the first person to have stock in that. And then you just, you go around and do that with whenever you have the money to do it during the stock rounds. And in the operating rounds, you'll go down each of these train lines, each of them has a limited number of stocks that can be purchased. And for every stock that has been purchased, somebody's going to place a train out on the map, right? 
if those trains cannot run from one city to another, so basically if they can't do their job, then the stock value goes down. So there's always the risk that you invest in a company that no one else joins you on, and then it tanks because you can't actually connect two cities. So there's a lot of social interaction in the game where you're like wheeling and dealing with each other to try to make sure somebody, like, I'm going to go into blue. Are you going to go into blue? Because if you don't go into blue, I'm in trouble. And then someone's like, yeah, yeah, I'll go into blue. And then they're just like, no, I'm not going into blue. Because that's just what you do in trade games. Um, And so you kind of push and pull and push and pull. The game, again, is relatively short. There's four stock rounds and six total operating rounds. Um, So not a lot of chance to do much. Uh, Game, I think BGG listed at 90 minutes, but it took us about an hour. So I don't think it's all that long either. Um, And we play with four. So the thing about four players is that you can have two sets of two that kind of copy each other. And it's almost the game almost kind of encourages that early. Because again, you don't want to go into a company by yourself because you can only invest in the company once per round. So if you nobody invests with you, you're in trouble. Um, so I think it's probably best at five. I don't know that I haven't played at five, but it, I feel like it probably is. Like anytime you have these things where you can pair up, it's good to have a fifth player just to make it uneven. Um, because in the game we played, like the first game we played, two of the players had the exact same stocks all the way through until like the end of the third round, which means they had the same score. And so it just came down to the last round and then they diverged and whoever made the right decision at the end won the game. Um, that's not always fun. So you don't really want that. I, I Obviously we're new to it, so it's probably not going to happen as much if you know the game, but that is something that came up. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. My thing with all these cube rail games is that I always want there to be a little bit more to it. Like I'm making interesting decisions, but then that's they're very quick decisions and then you're done, you know, and at some point in the game, it always feels like it plays itself a little bit, either at the beginning, which this game does a little or at the end when everybody runs out of money or stocks that they can buy. And you're just like, all right, well, this is what we have to do. Um, That's not necessarily a bad thing, because I think the more you play it, the more you'll know what direction you want to go in. But the first couple plays, at least, you know, I think it would be good to have somebody who's played before like guide people and be like, well, you know, just think of this and don't think of this and do this, which is the same for like 18XX games or arc, right. Or any of these big heavy train games. Like you need somebody there to guide people and be like, these are the things to keep in your brain when you make decisions, or you might make really bad decisions. Same thing here, except the game's much shorter. So if you make really bad decisions, you're not going to like <laughs> go climb out a window. Cause you're like, this game is terrible. And I've been doing it for six hours and I screwed up in the first hour. Um, I'd be engaged. It's an hour. So like I made a terrible decision early in the game. It was fine because it didn't take that long to finish. So I have all three of these and probably have all three because I have the first two. So I bought the <laughs> third one to complete it. I would give Iberian gauge a play. I don't think okay. I like it more than ride the rails. Um, I do like it more than Irish gauge because that game does kind of peter out at the end a little bit. I, all three of them are good, though, and I would play any of them to like introduce people to this mechanic or just to play a train game or even to play with just like not heavy gamers because they're all like two point something weight games are pretty light. Um, but if you ask me to pick like one of the three, I'd probably go with Ride the Rails. That said, I give it a strong play. I, I highly recommend playing it if you get a chance or really any of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And then if you really like this kind of game, you can pick it up and it's relatively inexpensive, It's like 40 bucks. So. That's Iberian Gage. I've seen this, and like you said, as part of the series, it really is the E&O 2 artwork that kind of drew my attention. 
but as also you said, it's just it doesn't seem to be enough game for the price point um, for me to kind of journey into that. But um, it's interesting to see, like you said, there's different experiences with which each of the games, as far as a you know collections yeah. concerned. Yeah, they're all very different. Like this one is very much like stock rounds, operating rounds, which is like what the big heavy train games do, and it really like boils down to the basics, which is really cool yeah. to play. Like I would love to, this would be like a good warm up game if you were sitting down to play one of those big ones, sure. or even just to ask somebody like maybe well, okay, let's try Iberian Gauge and see if you actually like the idea of owning stocks and companies. Yes, that you don't own because that's a big thing that people sometimes get stuck on. You don't own the company; you own stock in the company, and you get to operate the company. Like, and some people just don't want to do that, and like, then you won't like this type of game. But having something short and accessible like Iberian Gage, and it's pretty to look at, it's kind of a nice stepping stone for that. So I do like it for that reason, and I'm happy to own it because I do like these kinds of games. But sure. it's compared to some of the other ones, it's not it's not the best one. It's, I mean, that's a really interesting point because I think if you're a Euro gamer and all of you played is a certain type of Euro game, there are Euro games that do have that stock mechanic. And we've, we've talked about and played several of those, but that really is a different kind of mechanic. I remember playing Imperial and mm-hmm. going, but I own these countries. I should make them great. And like, no, that's not a, not at all what you do. What you do is you invest in those countries or companies and then you try to ramp them up so that you can sell them off and then you move on. And very much like Acquire and all those other games where it's just, it's about the stocks. It's not about what you're actually playing on the board, which again is a very different mindset. And I remember when we started yeah. getting into those games, I'm like, I own, I own this, right? So I, sh- no. Like, I don't. Like, I do, but I don't. So, like, burn it to the ground? I don't, like... So, I yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a great recommendation because that is a different mindset when you get so attached in Euro games to your own company, your own building. I think the only game that kind of, like, breaks you from that is, like, Last Will, where it's like, Mm. hey, you know that thing you loved? You got to destroy it now. (laughs) You're just like, I don't (laughs) know. Euro games taught me to build, not to destroy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right so yeah, yeah and it's interesting because you get into position sometimes in these games where like i was in the blue company yeah. and somebody else had three shares i had one and i'm like well the more money the blue company makes the further ahead of me you're gonna get so i'm gonna make poor decisions for the blue company <laughs> when i get a chance to take a move it didn't impact too much but i think it stopped him from getting one or two of the things he wanted to do because yeah. i'm like net it's a net negative for me if this company makes too much money. So I'm just going to go off in the wrong direction and waste yeah. all the company's money. Um, and you're spending the company's money too, which is a big thing. People, you know, you have to wrap your head around. You're not spending your own money. You're spending the company's money to build yeah. these trains. So combining that with working together a little bit, but then trying to go against each other, it's, it's a clever game. It's fun. Uh, so yeah, I do, I do definitely recommend checking it out if you're looking for that kind of thing. I got a chance to play uh Sarkadian's, First Light. Uh, Sarkadian's First Light is a really odd name for a game. This was a Kickstarter by S.J. McDowell, who you might know from his work on Architects of the West Kingdom, which he um, co-designed with Shem Phillips. So it had at least a little bit of a good pedigree. And, And again, this was his game. What really kind of 
really drew my attention was a couple of things. This is a dice placement game. So you have your own dice activation mechanics that you'll be able to use in the game itself. And I really like dice activation. When you roll dice, see what you get, and then have to manage those numbers are really an essential part of the game. And I love that as far as the game's concerned. And then the artwork here from Sam Phillips, and again, S.J. McDonald, is this really interesting sci-fi, but really, like, if you ever watch Archer, the cartoon, um, this kind of reminded me of that, these very, like, stern, chiseled chin kind of uh, astronauts who are out there, the Circadians who go out there and then land on this alien planet, and there's different species out there, and these intelligent species want to work with you, want to help you kind of trade and farm and activate certain resources. And it is a competitive game, but you are working with, again, these different alien races that are on the planet. So there is some kind of like, not cooperative element as far as the other people at the table, but in the game itself. Now, the game itself is pretty straightforward because really all you're doing at the first the first part of the, of the planning stage, and this game is really broken down to four stages, is you have a certain number of dice you begin with. I think it's about three or so. And I think you can't go over five dice in this game. Well, there's exceptions to every rule in this game. And this, is, this happens to be one of those games where it's like, every rule I'm going to tell you, there's probably an exception based on a special power or card or ability and things like that. But basically, you roll your three dice, and then you have to assign them to different areas. So you're either going to assign them to garages, which means that you'll be able to execute their actions during the next stage in one of these multitude of player boards. And thank goodness for our game teacher, Jay, who was kind enough and patient enough to go through all of these different kind of gameplay mechanics at the table. Or they go to like a farming phase, and then there's a farming um, area in the bottom that's going to get your resources and there's a lot of different resources in the game there's there's jewels there's energy in the game there's kelp in the game and water and these resources are very important because you're going to be trading these for big points uh towards the end of the game so once you set your dice whether you want them to go on the main boards or whether you want them to stay back um you'll also have to deal with the global event that happens that particular round so you'll know that before you roll your dice and you'll take that into account. Sometimes it's a positive, like your farms double produce. Sometimes it's a negative, where they half produce. And I didn't notice that really affecting my gameplay too much, other than maybe one time I was like, oh, okay, I'll throw a die over there to get an extra thing. But nonetheless, the game was very much based upon placing your dice out on these different areas in order to pick up upgrades for your farms, upgrades for your garages, that gives you points, gives you uh, reduced costs for certain things, gives you extra resources throughout the game, or to utilize the actual planet board itself. You have these movers that are just these kind of like, really hard to explain. They're like, basically, they're these plastic uh, hexagons that move around the board, and they're supposed to be like you kind of reaping the resources from those particular areas, there's resources that are planted there so you can pick them up. But they're at the last phase, you'll actually reap the resources from that particular area. So it's a good idea to move uh, these movers that are being able to pick up these resources because you'll be able to pick these resources up throughout the game. 
And then on the, the corners of the planet are victory points that you get if your mover happens to be in a certain spot at the end. Beyond that, and again, and, and please bear with me because there's a lot of different action spaces and things like that. I'm not going to go through all of them because, again, it becomes a little challenging. Um, there's two other main areas. One area is you're going to get cards in the game. You're going to get these project cards. And these project cards allow you, through a lot of resource exchange, you give the resources, and then you get this special ability throughout the game or an opportunity to score victory points at the end of the game. It reminded me a little bit of Grand Austria Hotel where you use the employees deck. And it's like, hey, you get a piece of cake. Or, hey, you can score victory points at the end of the game. And I was like, hey, I hate this part because, like... Just by the random draw, you're going to get something. Uh, you get a couple of these cards at the beginning of the game, and you do a draft, so it's a, it's a little more manageable. But the, through the rest of the game, you'll pick up these cards, and it's kind of random what you get, and it's kind of random what you know you end up doing with them, but they are essential in the game. Because beyond the cards, you will get a special kind of hero character. You'll get two to choose from, and they also give you a special game-breaking ability but that same game-breaking ability that is in that kind of initial asymmetric kind of gameplay rule-breaking thing is also on those cards. So what you get as far as your hero, what you get as far as those starting cards, what you get as far as those later cards is challenging because, again, it could work into your favor and you can win by one point or it could work against you and you just didn't get the cards you needed and it works against you. There are a lot of ways to get cards, which is good. There's a lot of ways to get resources. That's also good. There's also, and really this is the point where everything the game come and come comes into play, is I mentioned those is, there's these alien species in the game, and at the start of the game you'll see the three alien species, and there are opportunities to trade in resources to get major victory points. And once you do that, here's the weird thing about the game. These three tracks... If you put low numbers on them, because remember, it's a dice rolling game where you place a dice, the bad stuff doesn't trigger. But as the numbers in those different tracks go up, as people keep putting dice to get those resources, there is a track on the bottom that shows negatives. And if you get to the negative spots, bad things happen. So sometimes it's duplicate dice on there. Sometimes it's it's dice. If you add them up, they, they're too high. And then you lose resources or money or whatever or points because you were the last person to put the die. But if you, again, by the opposite, if you were one of the first person to put the die, not only are you going to score victory points at the end of the game, but you're also going to get a little bit of a bonus as the game goes on. This is really a hard game because, again, there's so many different actions that kind of take place. The dice rolling and the dice placement, really cool. Um, the fact that you lose dice in certain boards and you can recruit dice, also very cool. The player boards where you have these garages, which is just basically the idea that like you can upgrade how your dice go out, eh, not so great. And the same thing with the farms where it's like it's almost a second thought, like I don't know if I want to spend time or effort into these particular areas. Uh, the boards themselves, like the special actions and abilities are hit and miss. Sometimes you do want to upgrade. Sometimes you do want to move your rover on the planet. Uh, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. The artwork is unique. I don't know if it necessarily did it for me, but maybe it does it for you. It's nice and clean and simple. The graphic design is not bad considering the fact that there's so many symbols 
on this, but looking at the game for the very first time, it is sincerely overwhelming. I think this game plays better at a smaller player count because, again, there's just so many different things to do. The downside of this game, and it does come in a solo mode, is the fact that the game does not scale. So the boards themselves don't limit the number of spaces for the more players that you do have in this game. I don't know what the ideal player count is. I didn't find it. Maybe it's solo because the solo has a really decent solo that people love. This was a Kickstarter game that came out. I liked it, but I didn't love it. I wouldn't buy it. I would certainly play it. It's a little bit of a a point salad kind of situation. Like there's no, and I don't understand why game publishers do this. Anthony, there's no scoreboard on this. So at the end of the game, you you literally have to take a pad and a pen and try to figure out the score. You don't even have a pad that has all the things on it. You have to put that together yourself, which I felt was terrible and and a cheap kind of way of doing that so you never really know where you are until the very end of the game as you're counting up the points and you're just like i don't know did i win oh i lost by one point okay (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i don't know what to do with that i'm sure it's fine i'm sure it doesn't matter but it was fun it was entertaining it was a little bit too long on the table uh i'm gonna give it a play i think it's something that's worth playing I enjoyed it. I think I was able to figure it out as soon as we got, you know, done with the first turn. But it is a bit of a table hog. It is a bit of a mess on the table. Uh, There's so many different things to do. There is some blocking that you could do if you got to a certain place first. But again, since it doesn't scale down or scale up for the, the player count, I think that's a fundamental flaw with the game. And again, the project cards... They're so random what you get and what you don't get and your positioning, what what you get and you don't get. Uh, I can't recommend it as a buy. I just can't. Like, I give it a light play. I think it's it's fine. And again, weird name. Circadian's First Light. Awesome. Love the sci-fi theme, but never going to remember this title five minutes later. So as Anthony, I think Anthony himself is perplexed because he's just, he's speechless at the moment. Yeah, he couldn't even do it. <laughs> so he muted. tried. He, he, the yeah. words just wouldn't come out, you know. <laughs> I was even gesticulating. It wasn't, if you're watching and the video, like, you could see me moving my hands. <laughs> no working. Uh, yeah, no, it's, I, I don't know where those titles come from. Like who comes up with, it, it comes up all the time and you can tell it's a bad title because nobody can remember it. No, right? one can it's remember. not even just like, that's dumb. It's just. It's completely forgettable because it doesn't make any sense. It's just nonsensical. There's nothing about it that, like, why? What was it? Side side rail confluence of the something quadrant and... Yeah, sidereal confluence. Yeah. There you go. Like, is that Bad. supposed to be a thing? Come on. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean anything. Those are just random words. I do like dice placement. It's, it, it sucks to hear that there are this many issues with it. But um, I don't know. Maybe I'll give it a go. I like solo games. Yeah, I, I've I've I haven't played solo. I've heard it plays much better solo because the AI is pretty good on it, and I do recommend it as a play. I think it's something to play, but I think you get you need to go in to know it's a mishmash, like mm-hmm. it's just it's just like a, a lot of random stuff. Ha, your your dice rolls can kind of be mitigated, um, but you know where you are in player order matters much more. So when we started the game, there right. was no accountability for somebody who went last. 
so you know it does change player order there's eight rounds in the game so you eventually you will go first but still the first round you know as you're building resources you want to be able to go first and that's just random so all right so that's the games that hit the table please uh do check those games out to plays on the table so um i think we'll have a good time with both of them all right so now on to our feature review so our feature review this week we are taking an introspective look with our friends, our great listeners out there that are hopefully listening with us right now, to take a look at some of their top questions. Unfortunately, we can't answer them all because we want to make this a reasonable listen for you. But again, we're always open and listening for questions. So if you have any questions whatsoever about the podcast, the YouTube channel, the Twitch stream, or the 500 other things we're doing on a daily basis, please hit us up. We would love to let you know. And it's just a good way to connect. So, Anthony, our listener feedback, I know you pulled together the best and brightest here. Um, what do you think about, you know, doing this episode each and every year? Yeah, man, I, I love doing this episode because it gives us a chance to, I don't know, ask people what they think, but also hear what they want to, you know, know more about. Because I, I post questions every week and they're sometimes interesting and sometimes <laughs> something off the top of my head because I'm moving and something's annoying me like play mats. Um, you know, you never know where it's going to come from. Um, but this one, you know, it's a chance to step back, give people a little more time and actually get some, you know, specific and significant feedback. So it's fun to do, especially like right before the anniversary episode, which is when we tend to be the most introspective about the show yeah. and what we want to do with the show. And if we're going to make any changes or adjustments or, or whatever it might be. Uh, so yeah, it's always fun to kind of slow it down a bit. Yeah, it's one of my favorite episodes. I love to hear from everyone's listening out there. Uh, if you've never done a podcast before, or you've never done a YouTube channel before, or even a Twitch stream at least a little bit, you may not know that like we're talking to the void. Like we're just kind of putting it out there, and <laughs> hopefully you're hearing it, and we're sharing an experience. So wherever you are right now in the world. You know, you're out walking, you're at the gym, you're in the car, you're, you're just relaxing at home, whatever it happens to be, or you're listening with friends and family, like, hey guys, hey everybody, um, really good to have you here. So, Anthony, what do you have up for our first question? All right, first question from Tim. Uh, hey Tim! Starts with this. Hey, it's me, Chris! Tim! Tim <laughs> in the back! Uh, so he says, I would like to see you guys revisit your back catalog of games a little more often. Sometimes this happens in your at the table section or top tens, but you, you can easily feature some of your favorite games of days gone by as its own segment. Nice. And so he asks, what are some games you'd like to talk about? Like what would be on such a segment? Oh, very cool, Tim. Thanks for the question. Yeah, I think we'd like to get back to that. Uh, Anthony mentioned this a little bit, but Anthony and I have been in process of moving, Anthony just moved. I'm in the process of moving next. So we've been going through insane levels of things. Anthony's changing his job. I just changed my job. So there's been a lot of that kind of like packing, repacking of games. So Tim, that's really been on my mind as well. A lot of these games that I want to revisit that I've, we've done the reviews for them that personally for me, I've never felt like I've still mentally kind of wrapped my brain around some games so one of the games in particular that pops into my head would certainly be Feudum. Feudum was a game that it was so big and expensive on Kickstarter. And it was so, the artwork was just so out there. It was such a different type of artwork. And then the game itself 
was somewhat consistent of the artwork. I mean, it was a kind of a brutal battle game. It was really an interesting, different take on a board game. There's area control, but there's cards, action placement that you're doing. And then there's this kind of wacky, dreamlike kind of aesthetic to it. And I got the game to the table and I loved it, but it's, it's, a, it's a bear to teach. It really is. And I played it with a bunch of different people over the year, over the, I guess the two or three years. I mean, at least two, two, three years at this point. And I've gotten mixed reactions about it. Like, again, it's it's such a heavy learn that I don't, like, I love it, but I want other people to love it. But there is that gap. There is just that gap where it's just like, it's a lot. Right. But I think if you if you can somehow get over that giant mountain, it's interesting, but it's also really hard to explain. It's like fantasy world, but not fantasy world. Kind of realistic right. market and trade and like, mechanical kind of like you do one thing and then it bounces around and it affects five other things and and i've wanted to back the other kickstarters like for the really cool bits that they offer and then i'm like can i do that because will this ever get table time because Mm. it's so big it's so long it's so complex but it also deserves table time this would almost be like in the twilight imperium kind of like area of like big massive time consuming game that you really have to sit through so i don't know tim I, I i mean that's a game i'd really like to struggle more with i think there's that game and several others just were so unique that i just want to struggle with them more and really think about them more because they're unique creations right so definitely feudum would be one but there's several others so yeah i definitely like to take it back a little bit and see what we could do yeah me too yeah i mean i mentioned you know a few minutes ago, Arkwright, um, which I played two weeks ago. Uh, and I've played it a grand total of three times now. The first time is in 2016, and I reviewed it then. And that was the short version of the game without all the rules mixed in. So my review is very much like, it's good, I think. Uh, so it would be, that would be fun for me to get back to if I could play it a few more times. Um, I certainly feel like I know it now, but just to be able to get to the table and play it more and understand it a little bit better. But yeah, I think the common theme there is the big, long stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, th- I think those things they not just a second review but just more contemplation you right. know about, about about what they are and why they are and yeah. and i can and there are some games that are just like that they're just a, a work of art or just a complexity or a mystery and you just got to keep looking at it and just turn it upside down until it kind of all makes sense right yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, I have a few like that where I just, yeah, I wish I could play them like 15, 20 times in a, in a month or two and just really get into it. It's not going to happen, but <laughs> maybe someday, you know. <laughs> um, all right. Next question is from David. David asks, uh, what would be your favorite gaming moments or experiences? Uh, what sticks out to you as those golden gaming moments? Well, I, I guess... I've talked about them in the past and I've, I have new ones added. I, I guess one of the, one of the ones that recently I talked about with friends at the game table was playing Agricola. And that was kind of a leap for me because I was really into the Marathrash, you know, kind of themes where it's, you know, it's space, it's aliens, it's high fantasy, whatever it is. It's, it's a whole bunch of stuff. And then I started playing this game about farming for some reason and it was a really, it's a brutal play. You know, the idea of misery farming is a real thing when it comes to Agricola. 
And then, and then I remember playing one game and then just sweating the idea that I wasn't going to be able to feed my family in that particular round and take all this kind of massive, you know, debt. And I was able somehow, I finally was able to kind of see the board in the right way. And I was able to feed my family. And I was just like, <gasps> and I, and I was one of those kind of like big game moments that I was just like so excited about it. So happy that I figured things out, could put the puzzle together and again, it was a game that was typically for me very miserable, but it had those moments and it had that one moment where everything came together when it seemed like it never would. Uh, I talked about another moment with um, Defenders of the Realm. Anthony and I shared that game moment where we had this big kind of like, you know, chance to win it all. That was a fantastic moment. Obviously, anytime we play certain big games, whether it's a Twilight Imperium or War of the Ring or even Rebellion you know, where you're kind of like back it's against the wall or if you're doing like one of those kind of hidden movement games, that's pretty tight. I guess I, I just mentioned Feudum and so I'll follow up. Like I played Feudum the first time and I won that game and I was like, okay. <laughs> you ever, you ever watch those like Yu-Gi-Oh cartoons where like the Egyptian God kind of takes over and wins the game for him. And I'm like, and like the little kids like, we did it, and I'm like, yeah, that was that kind of game. I was like, first time playing Feudum against like three other hardcore players, and I won that game. And I'm like, okay, that was that was pretty cool. Um, I think we could do an episode, or if not a whole series of episodes, Anthony, where those kind of like board games really popped and came to life, and that that's a big moment too. I mean, I can, I can go on. I mean, do you, do you maybe you want to jump in here? Oh no, man! You go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 a funny question for me because I was thinking about this recently because there are those moments you think of like, oh yeah, like the first time I played Terra Mystica and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so complicated and I love it. <laughs> or you know, the first time I played a miniatures game and I'm like, I want to paint this, you know. Or you know, I have memories with my kids where it was what game was it? It was like Blue Lagoon, I think a Nietzsche game where I sat down and I was playing it. I was meant to play it with my son and he just was not interested thematically. But my daughter who was like three or four years old at the time comes over and she's like, it looks like Moana. And she sat and she played this game with me, which was not meant for four year olds. (laughs) And it was like, Oh yeah. Gaming with kids is fun. Like once they get old enough to do it. Um, Awesome. Yeah. It's like moments like that are really fantastic. Um, one of my favorites from last year was I brought a bunch of card games with us camping. We went camping because um, that's all you could do in the pandemic if you wanted to leave your house. And, you know, I, I had like patchwork and the kids like patchwork. I knew they like patchwork. But the one game I didn't expect to get so popular was Skull King, the, you know, the, the pirate based sure. trick taking game. My kids fell in love with that game. We played it like six times in three days. I've actually had to buy new copies of it because they've worn out the cards for it. And it was just like sitting there with them and my wife, you know, it's getting dark and we can barely see the cards anymore. And they're just like screaming at each other about like their bids and like, Oh my gosh, throwing cards around. It was like what you get when you play with my friends around the table, but you know, with the kids and you're like, Oh man, this is like, it was like a revelation. Um, Like those are the memories that stick out to me. I think the most is like, sure. When you're introducing something new or you are introduced to something new, um, you know, recently, not recently, I guess last couple of years, like with friends back in Pittsburgh, you know, it was like playing my first 18 XX game or playing my first Twilight Imperium game to completion. 
like those things really stick with me as well because you remember every interaction you remember every person flipping a chair over or getting too hungry and grumpy and wanting to go home but then at the end it was like that was amazing because you shared this exhausting experience you know um yeah that's where i'm that's where mine yeah, I, th- I think that, again, we could do several episodes of, about this. I, there's so many great gaming moments, and hopefully all of you have, have had those as well. I, I think Anthony mentioned Twilight Imperium, and, and what popped into my head was we were playing with friends of ours playing Twilight Imperium, and I think we got through like half of a game or three quarters of a game, and and then our friend, unfortunately, was kind of losing it because of the amount of noise in the background. It was yeah. like the guy came over, is like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Here, you want a pizza? <laughs> and our friend was like... <laughs> You want a pizza? I'm gonna give you a pizza. And we were <laughs> like, I'm like, we should not play Twilight Imperium in an open public space because that never ends well. So let's not do that ever again. And then obviously multiple conventions, multiple uh, game challenges that we kind of played through. I remember playing Small World, a game I loved, and then right. you know I, I I got to a point where they're like, oh, you tied. You both go on to the next round. I'm like. No, nope, I'm good. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> because we played like you play back to back. And I'm like, I don't need to do that again. Um, you know, Star Wars, you know, and, and Attack Wing and Star Trek, all that other kind of like games where you get to relive these IPs. And it's really kind of like the movies kind of come into play. The shows like come into your mind and you get to have those really great experiences. Uh, anytime teaching a game that actually your teach really does a great job and like someone blows you away, like, my teacher did a good job. Like anytime you could teach a game and lose, that's really a good job. And then obviously all the different charity events we've done over the years where we've like auctioned off games and, you know, sold games off and played games at the table for charity. That's been always a beautiful experience. And there's just so many different moments like, like that, you know, getting those games to the table. And again, that's why we say, you know, our podcast is all about having everyone join us at the table and we want to do that with all of you so that we can build those moments together. All right. All right. So moving on to the next one, this question is specifically for you, Chris. Oh, I get the question. Brianne. Oh, no. Uh, and they ask, <laughs> for Chris, what's the one game you'd want to replace the artwork in? There's so many, Brianne. I know. There's so many. She asked so for many. one. <laughs> you got to pick one. I just, it's just, I can't. It's just too. Whew. There's just one, huh? That's so hard. There's so many bad games with bad artwork. Oh man, <laughs> I, I I don't I I honestly don't I don't even know where to begin because again, a, a lot of the games with artwork, like artwork, is very subjective. So right. I'm totally of the mindset that like these artists have put their time and effort into this. So I don't want to necessarily. Um, you know, say poor things about them, but there is certainly artwork out there that it just doesn't, it doesn't do the best job it could do with the game itself. And that's something that always kind of like was really rough for me because I always felt that certain games could go a step further, could bring more people to the table. And a lot of times all you do have is the the box artwork. You know, the graphic design is always a bigger issue. Sometimes you just can't play a game when you get to the table because it's so problematic. And right now, more than ever, like you see Ian O'Toole, who's out there left and right, he's kind of like doing such a great job 
you know, of kind of, of kind of like really um, revising and the um, board gaming. But if I had to say one game that really honestly bugs me each and every time that I look at it, because I own a copy of this would be glory to Rome. Mm. Now, when I say that brand is because, excuse me here, I don't own the black box edition. Now, if you know anything about Glory to Rome, it has this very famous story about the black box edition, which was this very simple looking, iconic, just really basic artwork where you just had these symbols in this black kind of background. So that's not what I'm talking about. That artwork is fine. But this is why the artwork from the original editions, the multitude of editions, Glory to Rome, was this weirdly cartoony artwork of like glory to Rome with these kind of silly, ridiculous bugs, bunny esque cartoon characters. I own a copy of this and the fact that they could reprint this with literally just a basic icon on each card. And people are so impassioned by the black box edition, even though you can get the regular edition at like, it's not in print anymore, but like you could find it is just like the apex of this artwork is bad that you could just throw up a simple, stupid, obvious thing that you could make up with like Microsoft word and people loves and adores it. But you're the one that you spend all the monies on for all the different pieces of artwork for such a tactically brilliant game. And it just, I cringe. I own a copy of it. And I love that I own a copy because I love Glory to Rome. But I cringe every time I look at this game. I'm like, why? Why did it have to be this dumb, stupid-looking artwork here? I just, I can't. I mean, that's there's so many games that could use better artwork. But that, but the fact again that it came out with the simplest artwork possible and everyone loves it. it and I just no. So Glory to Rome is the answer, Brianne. I'm sorry for that long, long windup, but it really is, <laughs> it really is the correct answer because, like I said, the other, the other new printing really shows how bad it is. Right. Yeah. No. 100 percent with you. I wish they could. I wish they could figure out the rights for that game and make it happen. But as they've said a million times, it's not happening. So we just have to live with our motainis and our ugly, ugly old Glory to Rome cartoon characters. It's so crazy, man. All right. <laughs> What do you have up next? All right. Next up, Brian asks, if you could be a promo in a game, what game would you choose and what would you do? So this is something that, again, as a kid who grew up with action figures and toys and and things and comic books and baseball cards, it's hard not to want some sort of promo. You know, it's not even it's not even a board gaming thing, but like literally having pops Funko Pops and collections of, of a million different things and then just loving board games so much. Again, it's another one of those things. It's like, what would you rather want? A promo in a game that is one of your favorite games or your favorite game or like something that would be um, super incredibly cool, right? Because a super incredibly cool thing would probably be some sort of miniature or figure um, where most Euro games, which tends to be what I love um, more or less like the most is not going to have those kind of figures. So it's kind of like, do I want a cool, a cooler promo or do I want something in a game that I love? I guess that's, and as you can hear from, from the way I'm answering uh, this question, Brian, I've overthought this. 
So please forgive me as, as I, as I talk this as Anthony, Anthony struggles with, dude, we got to finish the episode. We got to finish the episode. So um, that's a very big part of this. So if it's not an IP game, cause I think it's a little unfair cause you and I, Anthony can't be an IP. Um, but if we could actually be in a game, Ooh, uh, that's again, super hard. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would, the easy answer would be like a War of the Ring or, um, you know, Star Wars Rebellion, but I don't think that we're going to get the rights to those kind of things. So yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's got to be something that we we love a great deal and that's something that you could probably get to the table on an ongoing basis. I would normally say Defenders of the Realm, but that game's never coming back into print, unfortunately. I would say Lisboa, but I think... You know, heavy cardboard already beat us to it, so that tends to be a thing. Uh, you know, I think right now what's really hot and as as far as something I'd love to get a promo for um, could possibly be on Mars. I, I think mm. that game has got such a slick, cool look to it. I think that would be fun to have a, a promo in, in that game. How about you, Anthony? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about it. Um, I think it'd be one of two things. Either the voyages of Marco Polo, where of course I'd be a voyager, uh, and I, I like the the special powers where like something happens based on the die rolls because then you I'm really saying. have to be super tactical. <laughs> like, yeah. so I'd like it to be something like you get to do something or respond to something based on what other people's die rolls are. Like you get no special powers, but whenever people you know something like that, like when somebody oh, uses so you... a four or something, you get to do something. Um, <laughs> so that'd be fun. Um, or Lost Ruins of Arnak. I would just, it'd be cool just to be like one of the characters on the card, you know, or in like the solo campaign where they have actual characters and stuff you interact with. That would be cool. We obviously wouldn't add anything to the game, although they do have the expansion coming with some asymmetrical stuff. So maybe one of those explorers, but that's probably been one of my favorite games of the last year. So that would be a cool one to be in as well. So you said I overthought this, but you actually had what your your promo would do. Yeah. Which it seems a little unfair there. I, I guess what... I'm going to go back then. Since <laughs> Anthony, Anthony answered that question in a little more in detail. If I could get a card that actually did a thing, I was just thinking of having like a piece of artwork or something in a game. If I could have an asymmetrical game power, like my card or character or special ability if you play that in the game or if that's your starting character, it would definitely absolutely positively be underwater cities. That would oh, be it. Yeah. That'd because be I love that game. I'm, I'm that is, that's my, that's the game that I'm rolling with more than ever right now. So it would, it's not in the game now. There's no, there's no kind of like, you do get the, like the support character at the mm-hmm. start of the game. But if you had like an architect, that would be it right there. And then, that would be the game. That would be the character. Have an architect character that would give you like some sort of really cool special ongoing ability throughout the game. As far as like you said, Anthony, for you know Marco Polo, it would be dice rolling. But for maybe underwater cities, maybe it would be like a cool kind of conversion power um, or a special ability to build a second time or to um, jump ahead of the roll or something like that. Yeah, underwater cities. Not yeah, not even a awesome. question. Vladimir Suchi, hit me up because I got some ideas. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Awesome. All right. So one more question here. Uh, and again, thanks to everybody who wrote in. Um, David, uh, another David here wrote in, you know, this isn't a question so much as them just saying, uh, 
they'd love to hear more members of the community coming on to episodes. We've done this sure. in the past. We did this a fair bit last year or yes. earlier this year, uh, both, I guess, with the pandemic and just everybody being home and not being able to hit conventions. We've brought people on and that was a lot of fun. So it's definitely something we're going to consider. Um, so thank you, David. Um, Omar wrote in as well and kind of was just asking like where else I could find content, you know, and we mentioned where we are sometimes, but I understand it can be also hard to find those things if you don't have a link to it. So definitely like check out the website, boardgamersanonymous.com, where we have the links to like the YouTube page or the Facebook page or all the different things. But if you can think of a place where content goes up, we probably have an account. And if you search for Board Gamers Anonymous, you will probably find it. Um, that's probably the easiest way to answer that. Um, and if you find a place that has content, that we don't have one, let me know and I'll probably create one just to have it. So that'd be great. <laughs> just let me know. Um, so that brings us to our last like, question question here um, from Ali, who kind of took this one from Reddit. It was a question that was on a Reddit thread not too long ago um, and, and shot it our way. What's a game that you love personally, but understand why others dislike? So you know, none of this top 100 nonsense. What's a game where you're like, I love this game, even though I know it's a six. <laughs> what do you think? Well, the easy answer is Munchkin. Uh, Munchkin was the easy answer. (laughs) Yeah, Munchkin's always the easy answer because I know it's a I know it's fundamentally a broken game. When like you play a normal game and then you get to that last level and then everyone just tries to stop you and then it's just a matter of like, can you get past that deluge of cards that get thrown at you? So you kind of like try not to be the first person to hit ten because. You know, you don't want to get hit with all those cards, but then at the at the end it becomes a mishmash. But the fact that it's a game that's all about the humor, humorous nature of playing Dungeons and Dragons. So if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, the idea of Munchkin does make you smile, does make you laugh. I don't know why Steve Jackson Games has not gone back and really fixed Munchkin. Munchkin Apocalypse does have a way to end the game. That is not based on hitting level, you know, 10. It does have a different win condition. So someone recently said that they like Munchkin, but what one should they buy? You should buy the Apocalypse one because it it allows you a way to win that's not the normal bad way to win, which is just waited out until the very end. But I understand why everyone doesn't like it. I, I love, you know, John Kovlik's artwork there. I think it's something very, you know, cute, fits the kind of theme. And again, there's endless numbers of expansions that are just kind of like a one-time joke or pun. So I find it interesting because I play D&D for so much. So it's, you know, nostalgia. It's um, fan service in that way, but not really a very good game. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a tough time with this one because I don't I don't know that there's a game that I'm like, I love this, but it's bad. It's just legit bad. Um <laughs> Maybe there is, and other people will tell me, like, no, you like this game, and it's bad, uh, you know. <laughs> you like this game, and you should feel bad about it, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, like, I could, maybe I'm just not self-aware enough to answer this question. Like, there are funny answers, like, I think Isle of Cats is great. Chris thinks it's hilariously bad. That's fine, but it's actually a good game, and it's in the I top 100. Yet, to be fair. <laughs> oh, okay, well, that's not even that yeah. good. Um and then there's a, you know, you could take it another direction and say like 18xx games where I'm like, I'm well aware this, these are not for everybody. And the vast majority of people shouldn't even bother to try playing these because they're very difficult and they're long. And, um, but in terms of games that I'm just like, 
I don't know. It's it's not great. I guess I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> I ha- I still have my copy of Monty Python Flux. I guess I, I bought this like really early on, and Flux is not a good game. No, um, Flux is not it, a good game. No, but like in the right format with the right people who all enjoy just quoting a th- Monty Python or whatever sure. it is, that kind of thing can still be fun. And I've kept it for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Not for any other reason. And I actually don't know the last time I played it, to be honest with you. But I still have it. And I know that because I unpacked it yesterday and I found it. And I was like, hey, I kept this. Uh, so, yeah, stuff like that. And there's probably a few games like that that I have where it's just like, I'm going to hold on to this because it's still fun. Yeah, I think any of the Flux games are in that same realm that you buy it for the theme, not for the gameplay. And I always find it really sad when people review Flux games because I'm like, if you didn't like the theme, don't review this because all it is is theme. It's the same thing with Munchkin. It's just theme. It's just kind of fun theme. And then there's like a light gameplay kind of thrown over it. Right. So, All right. So that's all our questions that we have for this episode. Please hit us back. Let us know. We're always looking and listening for questions. And we will definitely respond uh, both to you individually, personally, but also on the podcast. So hit us up on all our social medias. As Anthony said, you can find us pretty much everywhere, but especially at BoardGamersAnonymous.com. If you haven't been to the website, you're going to be impressed. There's a lot of great content, and there'll be some upgrades upcoming to make it even better. So stick with us. A lot of new stuff coming out. And again, please let us know. We want to build content out that you like to listen to each and every week. And next week is our anniversary episode, our eighth anniversary doing the podcast. So um again thank you so much for listening thank you so much for your questions thank you so much for supporting the community and i love and we all both love and appreciate when you let people know about board gamers anonymous out there in the field all right anthony until our anniversary episode this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you all a seat at the table thank you so much take care everyone bye bye